From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to the Datebook Podcast. I'm Peter Hartlob here with reporter Kevin L. Jones. Welcome, Kevin. Hey, man. Very excited today, Kevin. You wrote about a rare 1984 audio interview between Jerry Garcia and Alice Kahn for West Magazine. Where did this interview come from? She'd been sitting on it forever. Like, she had a long writing career, and yet she didn't save any of her artifacts except this tape that she kept somewhere special because she knew it was special. Well, we know about Jerry Garcia. Tell us a little bit more about Alice Kahn. She was a longtime writer, um, basically who started with the East Bay Express, then went on to the Chronicle. She wrote four books, and she's best known for coining phrases like gourmet ghetto and yuppie. And uh, she's also a close friend of mine, and I'm, I'm pretty blessed to be friends with her. Well, we're going to play this audio recording as a datebook podcast. Um, it'll go right into it, so people aren't going to hear from us anymore. It'll go right into the interview with Jerry and Alice. Do you have a favorite part of the exchange? Oh, definitely when Jerry talks about uh, being homeless and living in a broken-down car in Palo Alto. You know, there's so many issues going on with homelessness in Silicon Valley that it, it puts it in perspective, you know? You gotta remember that the people living in these cars are people, you know, and they could be the next Jerry Garcia. Okay, well, this is a really special episode. I'm really, really thankful to you and to Alice to have this recording to share with our listeners. Datebook Podcast, thanks for listening. Okay, well, um, the the point of my interview is, uh, one, it's for uh, uh, the San Jose Mercury News uh, Sunday Magazine West, which I don't know if you've ever seen. I've seen it, yeah. But uh, it it's undergone a renovation towards the uh, well, do they better. Have, do they I have would say. printing in it now. <laughs> <laughs> Concepts, everything. Gosh. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I've I've been writing mainly humor for them for the last uh, year or so, and they, they, I must say, pay very well, which is a tremendous Hey, that's good. That's good. Um, I'm glad to hear writers getting paid good. But, uh, you know, as a, a Berkeley writer, it's, it's San Jose is a, a little of a strange But you don't get down there much. <laughs> yeah, it I is a strange world. Um, and uh, I never did. I mean, I had, there was a time did I, I had some it's friends th- there, but uh, that was it. Anyway, so let me let you know that even though I live in Berkeley. I'm trying to pretend like I'm a Sunnyvale okay, person. Okay, well, I'll get into talking uh, for lowriders. Right. Team, I'm the boss Jordan. Uh, and I also feel like I, I have to confess that I, I'm a musical idiot. So if I say things that I Don't feel just, like the Lone Ranger. <laughs> I feel like one frequently. Okay. <laughs> About the second chorus, usually. <laughs> My first question, Mr. Yeah, yeah. Garcia, yes. is um, where, where, where are you from? I'm from San Francisco. Is that... What you think of as your home? Uh, yeah, that's where I was born, and uh, that's where I think I was formed mostly. I mean, my opinions and my tastes, and and uh, yeah. At some point, though, you did. Uh, well, I also then Saturday. feel like, a, in a larger sense, I feel like a Bay Area person. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I move. We moved to the peninsula in that that furious rush that people had in the fifties to get the kids out of the city. Um, sort of a half-hearted attempt by my mom. Uh, we went down to the peninsula where we what stayed were you for... What she wanted to get you uh, I was being a kid in San Francisco, you know. I mean, I was uh-huh. 10, you know, or something right. like that. Right, well, uh, you've done it, 
Lots. <laughs> Lots. Uh, and I had an older brother, too, you know, who was probably a little closer to the edge than I was, probably. Um, so I, but I've read in other interviews with you that you said you were becoming a hoodlum at oh. 10. I was sure. Well, I was. Uh, yeah. Well, I later became a hoodlum. I wasn't just becoming a hoodlum. You know, <laughs> at ten everybody was becoming a hoodlum. I just had this uh, brief hiatus, you know, down in uh, on the peninsula where things were very different, and uh, and and that. Let's see. I guess we stayed there. I was when we went there. I was at, in the sixth grade. When we left, I had gone through the eighth grade twice. Uh, so Why? we came back up to the city. So that was about four years or something like that, four or five years maybe down there. Why did you repeat the eighth grade? What did you do? Uh, did you not do any of your work? Or yeah. Uh -huh. I, you know, I, uh, I, I was too smart for school. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I don't know why everybody else didn't know it. You know. Do you remember the name of the school? Sure, Menlo Oaks. Yeah. And what what does a twelve year old? You were about twelve. What well, I know I was older than that. Four, thirteen, fourteen, what, I'd say. You know, eighth grade, do whatever. What did you go to school? Uh, well. I went to school. I just didn't do any work. I, uh, that was the point. It wasn't. I didn't have anything in school or even learning. I just. The point was that I was reading things, and uh, I had my own education, my own program, really. Uh, and I, I was really, really bored with school. I, 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 I really, it was a context I didn't. I already had things decided for myself. You know, I had things that I wanted to do. I had plans. You know. <laughs> And I had stuff going, and I had my own interests and my own rate of learning, which I just couldn't, I couldn't see slowing down or stopping and, and, uh, and uh, wasting my time with schoolwork. Did you resent the move? Uh, no, no, I didn't care one way or another. Not really. No, uh -huh. it didn't matter. It was kind of interesting for a few years socially. You know, it was sort of it was very different. Well, down in on the peninsula, uh, in San Francisco, the school that I went to in the neighborhood that I grew up in was. Uh, um, uh, um, very um, Catholic. Uh, down on the peninsula, Catholics were in the minority, and I, I, I was surprised to learn that there were other religions. <laughs> that was a big surprise, you know. Oh, that's interesting, and uh, and uh, uh, whole other ways of doing things, and all, and uh, and also the whole thing of boys and girls uh, was much easier, you know. In the city, everything was like very. Um, Boys and girls were like two different worlds. They were really didn't uh, they really didn't see each other almost, you know. Uh, even though we were in school together and everything like that, there was no social context in which uh, uh, anything to happen. But down the peninsula, everything was there. There were these things happening already built in. Schools had dances and uh, all this stuff was part of a, a kind of a socializing program of some kind. Um, Do you remember your house there? Yeah, it was a ranch style. It was a new ranch style, you know, uh -huh. 50s house. This was like 1954, the height right, of the 54, Eisenhower American Right, That's right, and my mom was doing good. She had a lot of money. She made, she scored good. Uh, and and that was her, her, the thrust of her thinking, you know, was to get out of the city. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there we went to Menlo Park, you know, a real nice, uh, which was just, uh, you know, bursting out of the ground at that point, you know. And everything was new there. When I looked at... You know, and I read all these books and interviews that you've uh -huh. given. When I looked at them, it struck me that in some way you were a very typical Californian. Very uh, typical. Live, you know, kind of moving up and around, track. Absolutely. I think that probably, well, except that uh, uh, I had a long period of time. See, before my mom took me down to the peninsula, I was 
uh, raised, if I could call it that, by my grandparents and who left me largely unsupervised. I think that probably ruined me for everything, you know what I mean? Or that, made you what you are today. Or made me what I am today. Uh, my grandmother was a great person, but they were both working, they were both people who worked and and, uh, and, uh, and grandparently, you know, they, they didn't have... Uh, much stomach for discipline. <laughs> so I was pretty much unsupervised and I was used to having things exactly like I wanted them, you know. I mean, I was used to getting up and doing things, doing what I wanted, coming in when I wanted and going where I wanted and, and not uh, not asking anybody if they cared, okay. you know. And that's that was really, and I was much too much that person by the time my mom tried to get us down to the suburbs, you know, it was really too late. Mm-hmm. But uh, the change did me a lot of good for other reasons. And also I met, I had, had incredible luck with the teachers. I had a couple of teachers that really opened up the world for me. I was a reader, luckily, because I was sickly as a kid. I had asthma and didn't move much, you know. And because I couldn't, and because I spent so much time in bed and sick and at home, I, uh, I read. That was my entertainment. Um, that gave me a, a big, that was separated me a lot from everybody else. And then when I got down to the peninsula, I had a couple of teachers that were very, very radical. I mean, they were absolutely far out. And uh, I was lucky there. I just, I mean, this, this, that's, of course, that's, that's, that's dumb luck stuff. You know, it isn't something that you, uh, you know. And also being close to Stanford turned out to be a boon, too, because Stanford had lots of uh, educational uh, experiments going on, that were, and they used the public schools around, you know. So there were lots of these fast learner programs and that sort of thing. And, and uh, I was in all of those, you know, the, all, all the things that. I, so I sort of had this advantage of this kind of uh, elaborate, uh, and accelerated um, programs of various sorts in school, and and a couple of far out teachers who 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 were willing to uh, answer any questions and uh, and turn me on to where to go. You know, if you want to find more, uh, you know, uh, this is what you read. You, you know, mentioned that in other interviews, a teacher who turned you on to the book 1984. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that 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 teacher turned me on to lots of things, uh-huh. and, and but that was typical. I mean, that was like the sort of thing that started me think. That was the sort of thing that started me thinking about uh, social uh, matters, which I hadn't. I mean, I was blind to anything like that before that. You know, that was very simple, of course, but. Uh, but it was a start, you know, I mean, that opened the door, I, all of a sudden, to know that there was uh, that kind of thinking going on, you know, meant a lot to me at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was hungry, you know, I was really hungry. To, I just wanted, I mean, as soon as I saw that there were other th- notions, uh, that was just a tremendous news. So me and a few other kids, there were two or three of us maybe in this uh, ver- this class, that one class that... Uh, uh, right away, we were just we were gone. You know, we were completely in another world. You know, this was just after your father died. Uh, no, this is my father died when I was very young. He died when I was five, four, right around there. Oh, that young. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So you don't remember him? Oh yeah, I do. I uh, yeah, I, and I remember, and that in fact, uh, that it, it emotionally crippled me for a long time. I mean. Uh, I couldn't even stand to hear about it, you know, or anything like that until I was about 10 or 11, mm-hmm. I'd say. I, I mean, I didn't start really getting over it, you know. It, it, I, although I, I can't say I remember him, I, the effect it had on me was really, it was really crushing. Uh, I think maybe because it affected my mother a lot, you know. Yeah. And I sort of, I could see, you know, I sensed that, you know. And, uh, and also, it was something that I... Uh, I wasn't allowed to participate in it. I think now that was really a problem. 
you know. Mm-hmm. I should have been able to... They uh, tried to just hush it up or maybe... Sort of. They tried to protect me from it. To talk about yeah. it. Yeah. She couldn't talk to you about it. Yeah, no, she couldn't. She, she was... Uh, it really uh, was painful for her. And that was the reason why I went to live with my grandparents. It was after my father died. Do you remember him playing? A little bit, yeah. I remember he played a little of breaking out the clarinet, you know. Oh, like little. I know. I can't. I can't. I don't know what the tunes were, you know. Except that I do remember like Stephen Foster kind of tunes, you know, nice little melodies and stuff like Uh that, you know. That's interesting because um, the the way I happen to or Dennis noticed a piece I'd written about going to your concert at the Greek Theater. and it was just a fluke that I went. And uh-huh. I, I, somebody, uh, after I wrote about it, a, a deadhead sent me a tape of the concert I went to and I listened and I thought about what I really responded to in your music was uh, what I call a longing for home. Or, oh yeah, uh, it's, it's in a, there. a very American Stephen Foster. American is apple pie. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And right. uh, so, so that's the kind of music you think of if you if you think of your father playing? Well, not really. I don't really don't think of I don't have a picture of him as a musician, unfortunately. Uh, apparently he was a jazz musician, you know, so I mean, I wish I did. I wish I, I knew, I wish I could hear him play, you know. I, I think I'd be, I'd be interested in it, but he was, uh, he was hip for his day, apparently, you know. And I've looked at some of the arrangements in this band he's uh, played. Uh, I remember uh, poking around and, and looking at him, and I thought they were pretty hip. Uh, of course, at the time, I really didn't, you know, uh, I um, it's something I'd like to have been able to do. I li- I'd like to have been able to experience his music, but but uh, but his but he was a musician who was interested in American music. Also, I mean that was the kind of he, was, he wasn't a classical musician. He was a a, a a you know a genre player like I am. I would say you know an idiom player. Yeah, and the uh, saxophone. I mean, uh, clarinet is a wonderful instrument. It's got a nice sonorous. I remember the t- the sound of the clarinet more than the tunes, you know what I mean? The mm-hmm. clarinet has the nice woody, yeah, it has a lovely quality, you know, especially in that middle, that relaxed register, you know, its middle register is very lovely quality, and it has a and that sound is very present in my ear, I can recall it, 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 uh, uh for, for sounds linger in my ear, I can recall them, you know what I mean? Like some people can recall smells or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. I can recall specific sounds, and, and I can hear a sound and it'll, uh, I can, you know, all of a sudden it'll transport me to places, you know what I mean? And, and I can also recall them, you know. Memory. Yeah, very much so. And for me, that clarinet, I mean, I can just, all I have to do is go, there it is, you know, I can hear it right now. You know, that's that clarinet sound, it's right there. So do you consider that Menlo Park experience is a part of your roots? Oh, your definitely. Uh-huh. I, it, it's de- part of my what directionality, is, what yeah. What contributed to your life? Uh, a sort of self-affirmation. And and uh, the uh, uh, the 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 sense that uh, there's uh, there are radical possibilities, you know, and uh, other kinds of lifestyle things, lots of things really, but uh, there there are things that the seeds were for those you know for me to appreciate that. Really, I was set up for it earlier on in San Francisco because I lucked out when I had a few teachers when I was younger. Yeah, too, or that and uh, the teachers that liked me respond were responded to to. Uh, I was a uh, I, I was a good uh, dra- draftsman. I, I could draw pretty well. You know, I had some artistic talent, and the teachers responded to that. You know, um, and so I was, I was encouraged along those lines. So those things, as a whole, you know, it gave me a sort of a, a way to think about myself. You know, so I, I 
and and my intention really I was not, I was not I was I'm not a schooled musician I didn't study music as a kid mm -hmm. um, Did I you ended take up, no art was the direction that I was going uh -huh. in you know conscious that's where I was going in in my mind you know and uh, as far as you know uh, what are you going to be when you grow up off I'm gonna I'm gonna be an artist you know that was what that was the direction that I was going in uh -huh. and uh, that uh, experience the peninsula. Uh, sort of nailed that down for me real well. It gave me a sense of self, a real good sense of self. I know the name, but Lee Hildebrand. Very nice guy, too. You know, a saint. Anyway, okay, Dana Morgan. And um, now, what about the 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 first acid test? Were uh -huh. you there for that? The first acid test, the one at Big Nig's house in San Jose? San Jose, yes. Now, this is, <laughs> yes, I, I was this there. This is a great moment of San Jose history that, was, that I was San there. Joseans yeah, right. ought to know about. I think Big Nig's house. Okay, tell me about, what, why, where was this? Big Nig's house. Big Nig. Big okay, Nig. Okay, can you uh, describe? Uh, it was just a house, somebody's okay. house, you know. Known as Big Nig. Big Nig, right, they called okay. him. Uh, and uh, we brought all our gear down there. You know, we were freshly unemployed. You know, we finally got out of our bar gig, and we were good and burnt out, you know, on the bars, but we were playing well. You know, we were playing good. Uh, we set up all our snazzy rock and roll stuff, and the praisers had all their funky, weird stuff set up on the other side of the room. This is all in the living room, you know. Who we cranked up, the, you know, for about 10 minutes, we went completely hog bananas wild. You know? <laughs> then we took everything down and packed it up and went home. Who were the other... Musicians? The pranksters, you know, Casey uh, oh, and the Kiss Gang, you know, uh -huh. and and for me, they were very funny to me at that time, you know. Why? <laughs> well, because it was like uh, their their whole thing, their all their equipment and stuff like that. It was all so tremendously funky, you know, and they were they were so incredibly uh, slapdash with it, you know, and and they had they couldn't, I mean, they didn't understand the first thing about the simplest stuff, you know. It was very funny to me to watch them bumble around with this stuff. <laughs> Uh, then I started to appreciate what was happening, what they were doing with it, really, which was, which was, uh, uh, they were letting it work for them in kind of funny ways. Uh, but we totally blew their minds at that. I mean, we took their minds and ran with it. You know, so they fell in love with us immediately. <laughs> they loved us after that. We scared them real bad. Why? How? Because we were, we had this tremendous purpose. I mean, a, 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 a really well organized rock and roll band. You know, in in a, in a in the middle of, uh, of their completely formlessness of these parties, really, which is what they originally were, you know. Uh, that kind of purpose, you know, is like, wow, it seems like the most powerful thing on earth, you know. <laughs> you can't imagine. How do they do that? You know, it's, 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 it seems like magic, you know, it's like miraculous. And, and they, they totally, they were beyond, beside themselves with the appreciation, you know. They, they I mean, when you're high, you love something that can take your mind and just Run, run off of it, you know. It's it's something you appreciate. So, that was the first time we were appreciated at that level. Uh huh. Who were you then? We were you the remember? warlocks. You were the warlocks. Yeah, we by were the then. warlocks. You were electric. And oh yeah, we were we were really the 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 present Grateful Dead. I mean, the same uh, same guys minus one, uh, you know. Mhm. What about Magoo's Pizza Parlor? That's the first place we played publicly. Uh huh. What do you remember about that? Or it was it was pandemonium. The very first show we played was pandemonium, and it really hasn't changed much. 
It really was. It was so surprising. I couldn't believe it. You know, it was like a movie. You know, <laughs> it's like one of those old rock and roll movies from the fifties. Do you do you recall seeing any signs of the Silicon Valley budding? Oh that, sure, I knew lots of people that worked down there. Oh yeah, sure. Was, well, you, there was already crossover. I mean, I knew guys that played mandolin and and uh, and uh, did uh, circuit cards during the. You know what I mean? It was already employing people. You You're know. I'm thinking of Marshall Leister. Not, not, no, Marshall. Marshall Lester is way above, way beyond that. Marshall uh -huh. Lester is, uh, he's uh, magnum cum laude from Yale, you know. I mean, right. he's serious. You know, uh -huh. He's real, real serious. No, no, I mean, uh, there are other guys that were around, just around, you know. Uh, so there was already some of that business was starting. Oh, it was already well what underway. You, the Silicon Valley was, well, well, I mean, the Silicon Valley was underway by that time. By 1960. Three. Three, sure, well underway. Uh -huh. It was involved with slightly different stuff. I mean, it was mostly obscure government contracts, you know, m m uh, uh, defense contracts, uh, missile stuff. But the space thing was already happening; had been happening for some time, and uh, and there was a lot of still a lot of audio going on uh, down there. You know, uh, I mean, Ampex and uh, you know, 3M and and uh, all that kind of stuff. There. Did that affect the direction you Not took really. in any way? That. You've mentioned someplace so that, you your, that your music, that you've always had a, a love of having the most extraordinary sort of equipment and... Uh, yeah, that really originates probably more with Phil than uh, than with me. I mean, because I'm, I'm a folk, I'm from folk music, you know, so I'm not so... Mm -hmm. I, but Phil has always been a guy who really loves... I mean, he's like a guy who loves a great, a fine car, you know what I mean? He's a, a guy who's... Machine a, lover. Yeah, yeah. He likes toys. Okay. He likes. But you don't. You don't consider yourself that way. Not really. I'm not. Not to the to that extent. No. Um, I actually, what I know, I sort of learned from him. Really, I mean, he taught. He's taught me a lot along those lines. He's taught me a lot about a lot of things. Really, but that's one of the directions that. Uh, and also because he he came at it from the level of uh, he had been a, a radio engineer and had also been involved in uh, electronic music avant garde. You know. Um, end of the world compositions uh, uh, that were electronic in nature, so he was aware of oscilloscopes and, uh, I mean, os audio oscillators wait, 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 and filters and things like that. Go back and say the end of the world like equipment. What do you mean? Uh, no, it's, I mean, it's a certain style of music, you know, I mean, it's just like the the avant-avant guard of uh, of music, you know, modern music in, 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 in the classical sense. You mean like uh, Steve Reich or... Yeah, Steve Reich was a good friend of, of Phil's. Is that right? Yeah, we know Steve Reich. Oh, is that right? Was yeah. he down in... No, he was he in San Francisco at that time, but he was around, like, if, uh, uh, like Phil, for example, was involved uh, a little bit with the meme troupe, you know, and Steve Reich was one of the guys who was around composing stuff for the meme troupe, you know. know yeah, I mean, he's it was... Now he's just the darling of New York. Yeah, right, he's an old friend of ours. Yeah, he's an old friend of ours, and, and uh, but yeah, it's like Steve Reich. Uh -huh. Well, Phil was another guy who was composing uh, crazy music, you know. Uh, and he was from that world, of the world of the serious avant-garde of music, you know. And, uh, uh, he, like, I was from folk music, he was from that world, you know. Did that uh, attract you in any way, that... that well, we both were involved with music, machines? but Phil is one of those guys who loves music of any sort, you know, so, and he can appreciate anything. And when he first, uh, when he first met me, he, uh, he loved the sound of the guitar, you know. He said, wow, you should do some of the crazy, crazy things with that guitar, you know. I mean, he, he was appreciative, like a fan, you know. And uh, when I found out you know, when I went to visit him, and found him there with a, you know, orchestra scoring paper, you know, with a foci for three orchestras, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> 
and he's writing it, you know, with no piano. I mean, he's picking the notes out of his head. You know, I mean, a guy with absolute pitch. I mean, that's intimidating. You know, uh -huh. this is a guy who seriously knows music. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, Phil's uh, musical education is, uh, he know. I mean, that guy is incredible, you know, so I mean, I, I, I said, you're my kind of guy, you know, <laughs> he's, uh -huh. this is my kind, this guy thinks big, you know, he was great, you know, and, and we had great fun, you know, together, we both appreciated each other's when stuff. You, when the warlock nah, was getting me? going, did you Hello. think someday, you know, I'll, um, I'll really make a living? I wanted to play great. I didn't care about me. Are you making a living? Are you uh -huh. kidding? I was prepared to. to you had I, artistic. I, my, I, my, I was prepared to support uh, my music uh, addiction. You know what I mean? I, I, I mean, if I had a, uh, if I had to pay for every bit of it, I'd pay gladly pay for it. You know what I mean? It's not that kind of thing for me. It's, uh, you know, it, 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 you know, the idea of getting of being allowed to play, and not only that, but getting paid for it is like what you know you mean you're gonna pay me to do this you know whoa you know it's that's like a whole new ball game you know that's incredible i mean i've been playing for years for nothing you know mm -hmm. or and next to nothing and and uh, god i'd be the last person in the world to complain about it. i was delighted to be able to do it you know i mean uh for me music is something i love not something you know what i mean i never i never thought ever to make money at it i mean that, that would that was um, what did i need money for you know <laughs> Really, I mean, I was living great without any money at all. I mean, and uh, it was easy, really easy. You talked elsewhere about sponging off oh, sure. all the rich people. And well, it wasn't hard, and, it, and they didn't have to be very rich, and I didn't sponge much off of anybody. You know, I mean, it didn't hurt anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, as, uh, and... Uh, you used a great phrase that you, you referred to yourself as the beatnik hordes. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. Uh, yeah, right, you know. I mean, and uh, it was okay, you know, it worked out okay. That was I. W I mean, uh, I was perfectly happy. You, you know? talked about the the coeds and the the professors sure. being generous. No, they kept me alive. You know, uh -huh. they were great. I mean, really, you know, I, I they kept me going, and uh, and they were they were very nice about it to boot. Ten. Okay. And then minutes. As in, as in, I can smell the food. And oh, oh, okay, so yes. Um, did did you see any contradiction at any point between your sort of hippie uh, Mr. Natural orientation <laughs> and the Mr. incredible Natural. equipment that you use? Never. Uh, well, I don't have yeah. that. First of all, I don't have a, a hippie Mr. Hippie Mr. <laughs> Natural orientation. I don't think of myself as that guy. You know, I I I, I just don't. You know, I and I. Uh, well, you act, well. Let's put it this way: you act natural. You don't come on the stage like a, a movie star or a rock star or something right. like that. You know, I, I mean, like I said, you, nobody can imagine you picking up the microphone. And Only because I'm a, a too audience. chicken shit. <laughs> Are you thinking shyness? Yeah, oh, sure. It's it's uh -huh. certainly that. You know, I mean, it's uh, stage fright to a certain extent. You don't think of yourself as a hippie or. Not really, you know. Uh -huh. uh, no, I, I think of myself as a beatnik. If I think of myself as anything, you know, uh -huh. I still relate to to that me, you know. Uh, and for me, how the hardware is just part of the changing, uh, the parade of passing phenomena. You know what I mean? I don't own it. It doesn't own me. You know what I mean? It's just stuff. You know, and uh, it's gone now anyway. You know, <laughs> so it's it, it it's a period of time that I was happy to move through, but uh, I don't miss it. You know. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. I, I don't have that kind of possessions. Uh, I mean, stuff doesn't uh, doesn't get me that way. You know, I'd rather have fun than stuff. 
since we're, we're this is going to appear in a New Year's Eve edition of a magazine. Oh my we're God! Gonna, we're going to forget Halloween and yep. wind ourselves ahead. Okay. Um, you know, obviously the Grateful Dead has had an incredible past, and um, people often talk to you about the past of the '60s and so forth. What about its future? What 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 do you see? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, from back there, I could never have predicted this. You know what I mean? It's already surpassed my expectations tenfold. You know, conservatively. You know, so I, I'm not I'm not prepared to predict. You know, I mean, to me, it looks like we're going to keep going for a while. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, I mean, time is going to start playing uh, 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 some part someday, you know what I mean? You can't live forever. <laughs> How do you see yourself fitting Why into not? Reagan's America? Very poorly. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but in a way, aren't you? It's not working so well. Yeah, so well, I, mean, you, I don't know. It seems like you're doing hey, well. I didn't, I didn't fit that well in Reagan's California. Ever. Yeah, well... Yeah, but that's not his fault, you know. I mean. <laughs> well, no, I see. I, I think there's a link. Do you? <laughs> uh, to me, there, there, you know, that as people find themselves feeling well, it go back I've to all, often had the horrible suspicion that those of us who are out here on this fringe, going like this, <laughs> are are creating the moral majority over there, and they're going, <laughs> you know. I mean, in my worst moments, I think thoughts like that, you know, so I'd rather not think that we're doing, you know, that, that we're... there's any relationship between us and them? I'd rather not, but I know there must be, you know, because we're, we represent poles, you know, and the pendulum swings between the poles, obviously, clearly, you know. Um, I just don't like that guy, you know, Reagan. I mean, I didn't like his movies, and I don't like his uh, politics, you know. I mean, what can I tell you? Don't you think, in a sense, that he encourages a cult-like world that deadheads have... What What do you think of the deadheads and their... their um they're people who want some uh, uh, some excitement. You know, they want something to look forward to, and, some, and people who want to have some fun. And I, I don't... Uh, uh, and if they want more than that, that's their business, you know. I mean, and it, and it's probably uh, that they want lots of things that they're and that they're they're they can't be uh, pigeonholed. They, I don't think of them as a group. I don't think of them as a monolith. You know what I mean? Uh, I I think of that because my experience with them shows that there's as many kinds of movies there are any other kind of humans. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? They they tend to be humans. And the thing that that ties them together is the the Grateful Dead experience, which they uh, invent in their own image, you know what I mean? They see it the way they want to see it, and they and it does for them what they want it to. And that's great, as far as I'm concerned, you know what I mean? I like everything wide open. I don't like things, uh, uh, I don't like things answered for you, you know? I don't like, uh, I like everything with question marks hanging over them. <laughs> like everything changing, you know? I like everything with the ability to change and uh, nothing settled. But don't you see in some way that we're returning to an era like the era that spawned Jerry some Garcia of them are. <laughs> yeah, some um, of them are, made, yeah. <laughs> you know, made places like the peninsula boom and uh, and made you feel like a freak who didn't fit in, uh, in most I never of the world? Felt that uh, like I didn't, I know, I'm not that. I've never been that uncomfortable with the world. I tell you, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I, I, I could take it or leave it. Uh, it's just that, that uh, I've always had stuff to do that was my own stuff to do, and it always seemed more important uh, for me to pay attention to it than it did for me to pay attention to whatever 
the world was doing. You know what I mean? That's all. It's really pretty simple. It's not, I don't have some axe to grind or anything like that or, uh, or territory to claim or anything. Uh, I, and I feel part of a, of a small, tight, uh, long-lived community that is also similarly purposeful. So, it's necessary now to fill in, you know, to it's it, you know, to uh, to make something right to take up the slack. World. Yeah, it was like, and also there's the thing of a second chance too. There's the thing of surviving an accident like that, which was really a, an incredible accident. Kind of a grateful dead. Yeah, well, I was really ha ha awful happy to be alive, certainly. Uh huh. Uh, and uh, I was I was a changed person. Accident is profoundly affected. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, Why? there was three of us survivors, and we were all really were yeah profoundly affected. Definitely, no question. I, it, I I get a very strong feeling when you talk about yeah. this that this is something that is a, is it was cosmic. powerful to you. In fact, it affected our whole little community. You know, it was like a big. But we're but we're Americans. We live in cars. We we're around accidents all the time. Everybody has, you know, had some yeah. brush. Why, why do you think this was so particular? For me, there was something about what was, see, it all, it was at the, the very beginning. I was just getting to be good friends with this kid, you know, with Paul. Uh -huh. I mean, we didn't really know each other that well yet, but it's like the thing, you know how you, how you know you're going to be good friends with somebody, you're just warming up a and relationship, a friendship is just warming friendship. up. Yeah, it's just uh -huh. getting hot, you know. And I could see, feel that coming. I mean, we were ha we were starting to cook, you know. Uh, I could feel that coming. And the, the loss there was the loss of potential, not so much the loss of a real thing. It was the loss of what might have happened, you know. Uh -huh. That's what really hurt. Uh, and for me, it really hurt. Uh, I can't explain your, why your, emotionally it was important to me. Maybe your early important to me. loss of your father sensitized you to... Conceivably, to, you know, uh, maybe made you more sensitive than average? I, I don't know. I really, I hadn't thought about it. it it's it, it was, it's not something that, that was hanging out there. You do, know? You think, do you think of yourself now, or did you think of yourself then as a particularly sensitive, no. artistic temperament, or just a... Not temperamentally, no. Uh -huh. I think, in fact, I, I would think that uh, I, I didn't think... Uh, I think of that as being one of my saving graces, you know. I mean, uh, that I'm not... Uh, that fragile, you know, and mm -hmm. that I, I'm not, and also that I'm not that self-absorbed, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It kind of, uh, Hasn't it makes it easier for me to give things up. adulation that you've received and these devoted, uh, you know, almost cult-like followers. That's not me, you know, I mean, that's not about me, you know, uh -huh. <laughs> that's about it, you know, uh, and it is something that's not me, you know. I, I, I participate in it. But so do they, you know. So they're entitled to feel that way about it. Uh -huh. you know? you, I feel that way about it myself. You don't take it personally. No, not at all. Uh -huh. I can't really. Personal. I'd like to be able to, but I don't. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, I can't. I can't say that I'm. I am responsible for it in that sense. You know. The fact that there are people who would fight off security guards to get in your car, or who would just—they're <laughs> very polite about leaving. To be <laughs> they didn't take anything, you know. Right. <laughs> or, or just that they would love to be in this room, or you know, we'll follow the band around. No, that stuff. That, that stuff is not. Uh, How do you keep from thinking, hey, maybe I really am just. Because special. I'll tell you why. Because the minute you try to go somewhere with any of that, in other words, the minute you try to capitalize on any of that phenomena, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That uh, it just it just turns to, to dust in your face. You know what I mean? It it, it, it won't. It doesn't help. It doesn't do, it doesn't do a thing. You know what I mean? It it. Uh, 
Would you know, you when you get a flat tire on the road at night, you have to get out of the car and change it yourself. You know what I mean? It's right. Like that stuff doesn't help. Yeah. None of that stuff does anything in any way affects who you are really, you know. And, uh, and but when it first started happening, for no, example, no, didn't I was it, much too was uh, skeptic. I was much too cynical <laughs> to uh-huh. worry about that kind of stuff. You know, <laughs> no, no, it was never a problem. And besides, when it first, it didn't, it never did first start happening that way. You see, I mean, for us, our first, our whole first uh, uh, wave was basically that our audience was us. You know, I mean, our audience was the same as us, and uh-huh. nobody thought anything. I was anybody special, you know. I mean, that didn't start happening until way late, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I didn't have to deal with that kind of stuff, you know. Luckily, you know. Let, let me let me throw out a few names for brief free associations, from, <laughs> you know, just like um, quick quick what comes to your mind when yeah I yeah tangent. A tangent, yeah, right. Well, that was the top of the tangent was the name of the uh, folk music club in Palo Alto where. Uh, I became the sort of uh, bull moose go- uh, goody there, you know. <laughs> I was the uh, the uh, uh, the guy that sort of uh, I was the top guitar there, you know, the hot licks guy there, and the hot banjo there. Sort of my my joint, you know. <laughs> my turf. That was your scene. Yeah. Boar's head. Well, the Boar's Head was up in uh, San Carlos. That was kind of Rodney Albin and Pete Albin and those guys. Uh, their scene. And uh, that was much. Who are they? Uh, they're friends of ours. Uh, Pete Alvin was the bass player in Big Brother and the Holy Company, as a matter of reference. Uh, mm-hmm. Rodney Alvin was a good friend of ours who just died recently of cancer. A nice, nice guy. Really, really sweet guy. Uh, we had a big a party for him, a, a benefit thing, sort of in his memory, uh, not too long ago. It was, it was really nice. And uh, they were. We met those people. Uh, the uh, San Carlos people there, the little San Carlos people who were kind of like what we were down in Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. That was part of the networking of the hippie world, you know. I mean, uh-huh. uh, what became the hippie world, you know, what became the Haight-Ashbury eventually, this is part of the early networking. You Did know? you think of yourself there was the off stage Phoenix. Phoenix. We were Phoenix. Yeah. yeah. What about the off stage? Well, the off stage was the was the San Jose version of the same thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there were there were all these little, were they places where people drank coffee more than booze or? No, they took dope more than drank coffee or booze. Would they take dope? Smoke pot, pot, you know, like okay, that. Soap yeah. pot. Like smoke, smoke pot, pot yeah. in the alley or in the car? Yeah, in the alley of the car, you know, uh-huh. like that. And then you'd come into the place and Nice and high and play music. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> music, drugs, they go together. And talk about? Everything. Talk about existentialism? Well, with the certain, yeah, the Palo Alto chapter did because that was a sort of more literary chapter, but uh-huh. that wasn't by any means. Uh, what would people uh, More often it would be in goof. It, it more, uh, more than talk about subjects, language became something where you goof. It, it's like music, you know, where you make Trippy. things up. Yeah, uh-huh. it's fun, you know. I mean, it wasn't about uh, let's say things to each other, it was about. Yeah, fuck me, fuck you. You know, it's you know, it's funny. You know, it's like uh, like you know, game playing. You know, uh, uh-huh. throwing language around. It's riffing. You know, it's a different thing. It's, uh, it doesn't have anything to do with content. You know, content isn't germane. It's uh, laughs are count more than you know. Fun. Yeah, fun. This all this stuff is under the heading of fun. fun. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Uh, Kepler's. 
when I kept it as a bookstore, uh, that had a little, uh, they, they nicely provided little tables and coffee in there, you know, so you could hang out there. So I, that's where I, that was also my personal hangout. I hung out there days. That was my day job. <laughs> yeah, I practiced the guitar in Kepler's during the day, and uh, read, read books. Great place, you know. And Roy Kepler was a sweet guy, and uh, the guys that worked there, people there, I, all people I knew, and and they were very, very nice. To, they were very nice to me. They they sort of treated me as a kind of a, uh, you know, a, 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 for some reason they didn't throw me out for which for which I'll always be profoundly grateful. You know, they were they were very nice to me. You know, they 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 were they had some respect for me for some reason. I don't know why. God knows I was certainly worthless. You know. But they, but they were nice. They let me stay there, and uh, and let my friends come and hang out too. So it, and that was sort of our, uh, you know, that was the place everybody came to. You know, so at nighttime, everybody would come there. If nobody had any money, everybody go to Kepler's. If anybody had money, we'd go to St. Michael's. Because Kepler's, you can stay in for nothing. Uh huh. Was uh, there a cover at St. Michael's, or would they push you to buy? Something? Plus a lot for coffee. Uh huh. You had to have coffee. You had to order something. You know. But the scene somehow moved out to the parking lot. Outside of Kepler's? Well, Kepler's, the parking lot was an active sure, yeah, because, uh, well, you know, it was just, it Kepler was... Kepler didn't tolerate everybody the way he did you, and that... Well, the guys that worked there didn't frequently. A lot of times, him, I want him out, you know. Uh -huh. If somebody was too crazy or came in drunk or wrecked everything, you know, or got too boisterous or, you know, did that kind of stuff. So anybody got, you know, too up in the air, you know. So the, the parking lot was like where you go if you wanted to stretch out a little. Uh, but that was just... That's like the California part of it, you know what I mean? The, like, you can think of uh, Kepler's as being the... Uh, inside Kellers as being the uh, the uh, Greenwich Village part of it, uh, and from the parking lot to the beach, the California part of it. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh -huh. It's because yes. there is sort of a line of continuity from the parking lot to the beach. You know, <laughs> even though it's a long way, but but all the space in between as well. You know what I mean? That was the California experience, which is wonderful. You know. So the, the, didn't the Peace movement get started. Well, there was the there was there was well that had already been in existence and that had to do with Kepler's also because that was a it was sort of a hotbed of pacifism you know uh, old style pacifism uh, you know Bertrand Russell style nuclear disarmament you know that that kind of stuff. Uh, Ban the bomb. Yeah, that's right. And there was a peace center. That's back now. Uh, yeah, that's sure. That's, that's right. Joe Baez, for example, was an important uh -huh. local. Uh, Legend, you know. Was she, was she a friend of yours? Did you Not really. She then? was way above us, you know. Uh -huh. I mean, she was way above us, you know. She was off there in Mythos land, you Do know. Do you remember going to a concert she gave at Palo Alto High School in the summer of 61? After she uh, had summer graduated of 61. No, I saw her. First I saw her was, yeah, it was probably around the summer of 61, but I saw her at Berkeley Community Theater was where I saw her. That was the first time you saw her? Yeah. Do you remember going to see her at Palo Alto High School? I don't think I ever saw her at Palo Alto High School. A friend of mine went with you. Really? Who is it? Her uh, name is Charlotte Daigle. I know Charlotte Daigle. Did Char she go to Russia? Char yes. That that Charlotte Daigle, yes. I, Charlotte I, Daigle. I, I I loved I had a tremendous crush on Charlotte Daigle for oh, a while. Oh, she's so happy to hear that. Charlotte oh, she knows. She knows. No, she doesn't know. Bullshit. I pursued her furiously. She's a very modest person. Charlotte was my first roommate. Really? When I moved to San Francisco. Oh, yeah. I, I, no, I, I really, I was very aggressive. <laughs> but I understand it was like a sort of a sensitive time in her life, you know. She was, I don't think she was ready to deal with somebody like me. 
You know, yeah, I guess maybe I did. Yeah, I did guess I did. I guess I did take well, her to a show. Well, she went back to try to see you several years later. Back oh yeah, boy, that was that's too bad. I, yeah. I, I, I really, I, I really had a. Uh, she was just lovely. She was, and she is. I mean, uh, she would, I, if you ever see her again. Oh, I'll see her. Give I'll her, talk a, to her, give her my. I, I grilled her. Dearest regards. Okay, well, she remembers. Uh, so do I. I'll never forget you. Charlotte Day. Charlotte, Charlotte Day was somebody I really had a great crush on. I loved her really. Great. Beautiful well, that's person. how. It, see, now I wandered into San Francisco in 1965. This miserable person from New York. Oh, that was a good, good just, year to uh, get just, down. just came in and advertised for a roommate. Charlotte Daigle walked in, and the nicest person I've ever met. Just yeah. About, and very as, sweet. You know, as a roommate, and I mean, you know, yeah, good luck. What great luck. Wonderful. I, you know, and I just thought. Uh, and then I went to San Francisco State, which oh, you know, yeah. when the year Jane Dornacker was homecoming queen. Yeah, right. I mean, it was just, uh, right. It was 65 was a good year. Yes. In San Francisco. Yes. Uh, oh yeah, uh, what she, she Jane the Earth Mother is what she was called then. Anyway, so Charlotte <laughs> told me the summer of '61, she uh, had she had just graduated from Palo Alto High the year or two before. Joan Baez came back, and now she was a famous lady. Right. And sh Charlotte said she went with you, and you dragged her into the front row uh -huh. and sat there really intently, saying things like. I can do that. I can beat her technique. And, you know, almost like dueling That sounds guitar. like me. Yeah. Uh, and that sounds she, like me in 61, yeah. You don't remember that, going to see her and feeling that... Uh, Not really. Uh, but, competitive. But I'll always remember Charlotte Daigle. Is that right? Yes. Oh, gotcha. Oh, sure. She's, she's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, uh -huh. yeah. Hmm. So Charlotte told me she hung out in the Kepler's. Now, Charlotte got yeah, thrown out of Kepler's. Kepler's. Yeah, she was She said they wouldn't let her stay past the Oh, yeah, time. maybe so, yeah. Possible. A lot of people did. A lot of people did. I probably got thrown out she, a few times myself. She also remembered you talking about the accident. That's why I, I asked you. She remembered. Yeah. That she, she had assumed that the Grateful Dead referred to you from that you know situation. It, 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 it doesn't not on purpose uh -huh. you know but in a way everything in my life sort of does you know what I mean I mean my uh, th in other words that for me that was one of those psychedelic uh, uh, occurrences that happened in your life you know those those times when your life is your life has a before and after quality you know mm -hmm. well the accident for me is one of those times you know I mean my life since the accident was is it I'm a different person since then right uh -huh. uh, I mean that accident uh, I changed, you know, that was it, you know, I was a different, the person who came out of the wreckage was not the same person who went roaring into it, you know, uh -huh. really, I mean, something, born again, or, yeah, or I was very definitely somebody else, something. so I was a different person, you know, so that yeah. for me, it's like LSD, or like, uh, you know, like, uh, yeah, like any near miss, or anything like that, or any really powerful experience, that, that I'll never be the same. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Kevin L. Jones and Alice Kahn. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke, and our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is Midnight Special by Ease Jammy Jams. Read our columns and subscribe to the Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.